This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, October 22nd, 2022. Um, Dornall, how was your week? Hey, hey. Doing well, thank you. I've got uh, growing kittens and work at the house and life and, is and good by growing kittens you mean they're the size of garfield whoa not yet not yet but they are one of them is the size of my previous cat who was not a big cat she was a small cat but uh these guys the siberian forest cats are supposed to be pretty big get up to 15 16 pounds so I'm looking forward to having uh, big but not giant cats. Um, but they're growing like weeds. And all green and see. leafy. Green and leafy. They are in fact succulent. That's right, folks. I got jokes for days. <laughs> Lots of them are even funny. Um, no, things are good. Uh, movie night was fun this week. We'll talk about that later today on the later on the show. Uh, gaming is good. I finished a little side project. Uh, I've I've got a project in the works uh, for automating some of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I'd love to talk about uh, that whole problem at the, you know, early in the show here. And um, no, that's about it. D&D and movies, but everything's good. How about you, D-Dubs? Um, yeah, it's been kind of a difficult week for me. Without my computer, uh, work on everything has gotten slowed down. Um, so I've been a lot less productive this week. Um, I, it's not, I don't know. I don't know what to say. My computer's gone. I'm getting it back on Monday. Hopefully they'll have fixed all the problems and uh, I'll be back to my usual old productive self. Oh, but don't give up the uh, dad joke thing. Keep those coming. That sucks, man. I'm sorry to hear that you... Uh, I mean, I knew that you did. You had the problem, but it really sucks to lose your main tool uh, for everything. Yep. Uh, speaking it of like... my speaking of my D and D problem, uh, we we felt it playing online this week uh, because. You're trying to juggle a lot of balls and wear a lot of hats as a game master with just an iPad. I'm sure that yeah. was a pain in your rear end. I think part of it was that I was trying to do the camera at the same time I was trying to use the iPad to look up rules and stuff. So the lesson I learned from the last couple of weeks running the game through the iPad is that if I'm going to run the game through the iPad, I just need to turn the camera off 
and um, just run it like an iPad. Don't try to use it like a laptop. I've got a laptop keyboard, and that constrained me more than anything else because I couldn't use the laptop in it, or couldn't use the iPad interface the way it was meant to be. And so it was really hard to quickly flip between applications and then to, you know, go up pages and find what I needed to find in the PDFs and, and come back. Um, it, it would also have been easier if I had been able to, uh, you know, spend money on physical rule books. And I hope to be able to do that sometime next year. But right now, um, I am restricted to uh, drive through RPG PDFs. So I'm going to, uh, if I have to run this again on an, on the iPad, I'm just going to use it like an iPad in my lap and forget about the camera. Well, now I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. The uh, the print-on-demand stuff for the old books is okay. I have a, I have a couple of players' handbooks. The downside is that when you go through the regular, uh, you know, the official purchases like Drive Through RPG, uh, the only one that's in print is the uh, special edition books that Watsi put out when Gygax passed away. So they've, uh, you know, they reprinted the first edition books and uh, all the information's there. Uh, and so you don't get the original covers, you know, without paying collector prices. And, and uh, original first edition uh, books are very pricey now because people are sick of Watsi's garbage and they're continuing to play the old stuff. But the print on demand stuff, perfectly adequate. Though I've been told their their uh, scans aren't good, I I don't know about that. Um, I've been using scans for my project, and the scans of the the premium copies, uh, they're really readable. Uh, most of the other most of the old scans are uh, poor quality and uh, a little hard to read. In yeah, my I haven't experience. had a problem reading the uh, PDFs I bought, so. I'm not saying they're great, you know, uh, but I've never had a problem looking up rules on them, which is kind of my standard for, did this waste money? Am I mad enough to complain on a, on a <laughs> review? Yeah. Um, uh, it strikes me though. I think I've discovered, or at least I, I believe I've discovered a, problem with the rules is written old school bro SR style gaming in first edition which is the the first edition rules were conceived and written very much in a time of the hobbyist gamer and even though um, the tools are there to that to be used at the table um, in an ad hoc manner to generate wondrous adventures. Uh, there's a little bit of time involved. 
And there are some things that have extra details where, you, you know, the game master is just going to have to hand wave or, you know, okay, we'll, we'll take care of that later, that sort of thing. And so even to use the tools to generate uh, a game, which, you know, which AD&D does beautifully, you have to commit a lot of time, uh, especially uh, uh, multi on multiple tables, tables upon tables of rolling. It's not really a complaint because it's fun. I like rolling all those dice and generating a treasure hoard or something like that. That's a lot of fun. Or, or generating a dungeon randomly, uh, you, whether it's at the table or... or Anyway, it's a lot of fun, but it's time-consuming. Um, and as a hobbyist, that's fine. If you set aside X, Y, you know, X number of hours a week to play your game, and you're the game master and you like building that stuff, then you're going to do that. But I can't help but think that uh, automating that stuff would help smooth things over at the table, which is strange. You, now, you might be thinking... I, I hope you'd be thinking, but what are you talking about? You know, computers have been at the gaming table for years, decades now. Uh, yet, I, have, I haven't found anything beyond a simple treasure, not simple treasure, but a treasure generator or a, there are treasure generators, map generators, dungeon generators, all these sorts of things. But nobody's actually implemented, for whatever reason, maybe legal reasons, nobody seems to have implemented the AD&D generators. Isn't that strange? Yes. I I mean, maybe that's just the internet being dead and Google being down, but uh, anybody who has written um, any sort of program or generators or scripts for first edition, they're not advertising. I know they're around. I bet if I find some Grognard IRC server somewhere, I can get someone's old old scripts or whatever. Um, so I've decided to spend my hobby time instead of putting together a game. I've been putting together some scripts that'll help out because uh, I encountered this problem when I was uh, managing um, a domain as if I had a name level character. And I was doing monthly encounters, and uh, you know, uh, copying the Macho Mandalf uh, procedure. I uh, generated a, a standard random encounter, right? A whole camp full of brigands. When you have to generate the treasure and possible magical items for a 150, 200 soldiers with all of the high-level captains and lieutenants and sergeants that go along with it, that's an hour or so of just rolling on dice and recording uh, what items they have. Just so that you can resolve this one encounter. Um, maybe, I mean, obviously this is something that you can speed up with, uh, with time and, you know, experience. But let's be honest, I, I'm a programmer. That's how I make my living. So I'm spending my hobby time scripting some of that up. So I think that's going to be a ton of help to anybody who wants to do sort of on-the-fly adventuring, right? Uh, if, you, if you've got three, four hours in a game session and this is your only gaming time this week, 
you really do want to just, you don't want to take an extra 30 minutes to get a treasure hoard, right? Just boom, give me the numbers, that sort of thing. Uh, so I'm going to keep building on it, but uh, I do have the ability to generate first edition treasure hoards right out of the, mon you know, the monster manual, those, uh, those different treasure types for monsters. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, it's already saved us a ton of time and headache in our Trilopolis games. Um, so anyway, I'm not I'm not ready to give it up yet. But that's what I've been up to. Uh, it's actually been really enjoyable way to spend some of my free time, and uh, and what we've already benefited from it in game. But I just don't. I just want to repeat. It's weird that there you can find a million AD&D treasure generators online. None of them seem to exactly follow the generation rules in the book. Uh, the closest one is a famous uh, dungeon.bin.sh. If all you need is uh, simple treasure hoards, they're fine. Uh, that, that place will do fine. Um, it doesn't do some of the other... It doesn't do some of the other... Uh, tricks like gem modifying gem values and that sort of thing but uh so it's not it's not perfect it's not a perfect correlation to the ad and d rules but it's probably close enough for your table anyway it's, that's all i got some of those rules are like insanely involved yeah yeah the the gem rules were the most uh time consuming to implement because well i mean take a step back if if you look at the treasure tables and you know like the list of magical weapons real simple right you just roll the dice and write down what magic weapon it is but if you want to modify the value of each gem you need to roll on a separate subtable for every gem and depending on what you roll you either increase or decrease the value or leave the value alone and sometimes you re-roll on the table so that's not something that you can just do in the text file, right? You actually have to script that interaction because you know it's a it's a recursive um, function. So, yeah, there's a few things in there where you know I it copy paste a bunch of data, um, generate you know so that I can generate a random item and then skim the rules and find out oh there's these three special cases here. Okay, make sure those special cases are going to be handled. Uh, by the script, and most, gener most if not all generators, either don't do those other little things, or they don't actually use the treasure tables from the Dungeon Master's Guide. That second part might just be a copyright thing, but it's still. People have sort of added their own thing to it, and for a bunch of people who want to try to play rules as written, that's not good enough. Oh, and then there's the quantum effect magic item you observed. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to resolve these rules. So anybody who's listening, um, drop us a line if you know the answer to this. Uh, when, when you generate gemstones as part of a treasure hoard, they've got a base value, right? 50 gold, 100 gold, whatever. But it's possible that they're... It's possible that they're worth more or less than that. 
It could be a particularly large stone. It could be a particularly well-cut or, or lustrous stone, high quality, what have you. So there's a table that you roll on to determine that. And that's the table I just mentioned where sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down, and sometimes you re-roll to have it go up more or down more. And I presume that that's, that's something that you do, you know, when you generate the treasure hoard, if you have the time. And when you're scripting it, you always have the time because it only takes, it takes less than a second. But then there's a magical item that actually affects the roll on that table, which doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> uh, because uh, all of a sudden now you've got a magical item that it says when you roll on that table, to figure out the value change of a gem, treat twos as ones. That's basically what it says. It just makes them, it makes it slightly more valuable. Which doesn't make any sense because by the time you've put the gem in contact with this magical item, you know how what the value is, right? Because in in my mind, the value of the gem represents size and quality, right? Um, a bigger diamond is worth more than a smaller diamond. Uh, a diamond is worth more than a opal, right? I can't figure out how this thing makes sense. How does this magical item work if you've already rolled on the subtable? How are are does this mean? It seems to imply that all the gems in AD and D are in a quantum state where you have no idea what their real value is until you try to sell them, <laughs> which is strange to me. But that's okay. My, my, uh, well, obviously, what most other people do is just don't think about it that hard. My solution <laughs> would be just to say, um, you know, instead of putting it in contact with gems, just as long as you have it on you or in your pocket or whatever, it'll affect any gems you come across um making them more with the chance of making them more valuable um and if it does make them more valuable that'll drain a charge um yeah more like a lucky charm yeah exactly and if it doesn't then it won't drain a charge now that's not quite in the key the spirit of what the gym actually does because the gym says the description of the magic item says, if you use this, whether or not it works, it drains a charge. Oh, no, I, 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 that's that's perfectly within the spirit of that item. That That's a really good way to handle it. Instead of, instead of trying to figure out this quantum state of gems, just say, hey, you know, if the person found the gems has the magical charm, the lucky charm in their possession, boom, increases it. That's That's brilliant. That's a good way to handle it at the table. Um, but but now, go ahead. No, well, now it occurs to me that uh, that would be a good excuse for me to add that capability to the gem gem creation script. Anyway, so yeah, most people I I would suspect just didn't didn't think about it that hard. They didn't. It's care. my it's my number two 
uh, thing to knock off of the random magic item table. I would rather just knock that charm off or put something else in its place. What what would be your number one then? Well, as it so happens, when I uh, implemented the treasure generator, I knocked artifact or relic off the list. Oh yeah, I, I looked at that, that. I looked at that whole subsection, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to deal with that. That's something for an individual dungeon master to add to their game. That absolutely should not be on a random treasure list at all. It just. Artifacts and relics are not random treasure. They're never random treasure. I, I, I'm not sure I agree, but it is absolutely something that it even says in the book, you know, hey, if if you don't want this or you're not ready for this, either take it off the list or just make it. There's like the next item up on the list was the bag of beans. Like it could just be another bag of beans. Right. Wait, They're just like. Are, are you saying it's an entry on the random it uh, absolutely is. Artifact or Relic is, there's a 1% chance on the first miscellaneous items table. And there's a note that just says, yep, uh, if you don't want to, if you don't want artifacts or relics to be random magical items, just put something in its place or consider a, the next item on the list, which is Bag of Beads. Uh, that's hmm. it. It's just, it's there if you want it. And we understand because most people are, feel the same way you do most people are like mm, no that's something i want to deliberately include in my game uh so but it is I'm there cool. it I'm is cool there rules that. is written it is there rules Actually, is written i'm okay i'm cool with that because you can just choose not to do it or i mean you hit that you can choose you know oh okay i'll just re-roll that I'll just re-roll that result and everything's okay. Mm -hmm. um, well, in, in my case, I uh, I just took it off the table because I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to randomize an artifact or a relic. Uh, that said, I could put it back in and just have a parenthetical that says, or bag of beans, or roll it yourself. Um, I don't think most people are going to miss the the artifact table. But yeah, now that I, I think actually, about it, that'd be rad. Because um, they have so many powers and drawbacks that the DM just picks for themselves. Uh, yeah, that's the sort of thing where even if you, even if you roll it up, um, even if you roll it off the table, uh, a script can't automatically do it because, you know, it's up to the dungeon master to roll or create all the powers an artifact has, first of all. So you actually need dungeon master's input, which it brings to the important part, which is once that result is rolled, the dungeon master really wants to, oh, okay, cool. What kind of artifact is it? How does it fit into my game, right? Um, that's the sort of thing that you want to happen in the DM's hobby time, in between sessions when he's creating stuff. Yeah. I would like to see somebody, you know, run across the apparatus of Quailish or... Mm -hmm. Oh, funny story. That's not on the artifact table. That's not an artifact. It's legit a miscellaneous magic item that's available. Really? 
Yep. <laughs> Pardon me for my lore. I did the same thing when I'm looking at the table. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. I love the apparatus of Quailish. And it's, I see it right there on the table above. Um, I think it's the line above. Uh, yeah, alphabetical order apparatus is right before artifact. So <laughs> I was like, oh. Huh. Apparently is not an artifact, never was. Well, I'm going to pull an excuse out. Did it become an artifact in a later edition, or am I just completely... Oh, you know, I probably did. I don't recall, though. And we are getting into the nerdy minutiae today, but... Yeah, we should we should go a different direction. Let me break this up. I want to shout out to the chat. Uh, Bradford Walker, hey, what's up? Simon Hogwood, thanks for joining us. Video Mirador, always good to see you, as well as Carlos Carrasco, Emmett Fitzhume, and Bob Stevens, the Irish Caneman himself. Um, good to see you guys. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna switch from D and D talk uh, right now. You're talking crazy. <laughs> Are we gonna we're gonna try to switch away from D and D talk? No, that's okay. We should. <laughs> hey, I, I thought that's all we were going. If you had something to, to talk about, by all means. I like D&D no, way more really. than movies. I just wanted to laugh at you for not catching the mummy references. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my bad. It wasn't until like I, I had trouble sleeping. I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and went, oh, yeah, it's, that was just that was just the, a bunch of references to the mummy. Don't know how I missed it. Of course it was. <laughs> I know. So everybody, I'm just going to do this really, really tightly. I'm not going to tell a story or the module or anything. There, We're doing Brovenloft, right? And uh, it's this big uh, Bronstein where all these high-level uh, horror gimmick patrons are battling it out. And uh, just a little while ago, King Starappa himself got destroyed on the battlefield um, and he was dead and, and lots and lots of people were filled with sorrow about this. So when we were pressed to uh, come up with a module, um, I had a great idea and I wanted to tie it into Brovenloft because Brovenloft is going to go away. And I didn't want to let this uh, opportunity pass us by. So I came up with another Brovenloft-oriented adventure. And I set it in the desert realms of Kingsta the Rapa. And I decided to make it about this cult, maybe resurrecting Kangsta and bringing him back to life. Only I didn't tell the players that's what it was ultimately about. And since we had Twin Peaks in one part of Brovenloft, and I had snuck in a uh, 2000... So Twin Peaks was in like 1991? That was the year, right? In Twin Peaks? 94. I, or no, that was 91, yeah. And then I snuck in a German town that was in 2001. 
um, that had knew Twin Peaks was a fictional thing and was like 90 miles outside of Twin Peaks when they left that uh, hex. Um, I all of a sudden got this idea uh, after the end of the module when I thought of like this desert quest thing. Um, it just struck me out of the blue to make it about resurrecting Kingsta. And the idea came to me to make it, and this is just like one brilliant flash. And I, I audibly gasped and my eyes went completely wide open. Um, to make it the mummy. Um, the Brendan Fraser movie, the mummy. So awesome choice, obvious choice in retrospect. Um, I don't know how many people got it in the middle of play. Um, but you know, it was the bad guys who were, um, basically the they looked like the magi only in in this context they were the cobra cult um spelled with two k's because of kingsta rapper kingsta was spelled with a k and um then they're being imposed by you know uh instead of rick o'connell it was richard dick mcdonald um, and he had pretty much the exact same description and role. And then, um, they had the Weasley brother there and Rachel Weiss was there and her, uh, Egyptian, you know, kind of genie outfit. And then they had the four Americans there on their side, um, fighting these cultists. One of the cultists raised some of their casualties as zombies. Um, and then some of the cultists, most of the cultists were zero level humans. Uh, and a couple of them had slightly more hit points, but otherwise were zero level humans. And then you had the one, um, not technically a cleric, he was a medicine man. Um, and the only spells he used were the, uh, were raise dead or create zombie, raise undead, whatever. Sorry, I can't remember the name of the spell. But it's on the it's a it's animate dead. Yeah, animate dead. There we go. And then uh, everybody was shooting with, uh, you know, rifles and pistols. And I had uh, Chris, um, who is uh, Macho Mandolf's player, uh, was very helpful during the game to look up stats for pistols and rifles in the boot hill section in the AD and D. Uh, game master's guide so i got those and uh everybody was in short range but uh the crates they had for cover gave them plus four armor class which made a huge difference <laughs> especially against zero level humans who do not have super high uh super high to hit rolls um so everybody eventually went to melee and there was this huge melee and finally, the party's cleric returned and class cast Bless, which drove the eclipse away from the sun, 
fried all the bad guys. They found the treasure, or they were led to the bad guys' lair, and they got the uh, gold uh, and the raft of potions and some scrolls that turned out to be their lot from the random table charts. I think they got like 11 potions all told after everything was over and three magic user scrolls. So they actually came out really well on XP and uh, got a thousand pieces of a thousand gold pieces a piece uh, per player characters. Um, but yeah, uh, people seem to completely miss all of the um, what I thought would be really obvious uh, mummy references, especially since I said the Egyptian Book of the Dead. That's on black metal pages that can be unlocked if you have the key. I thought that would be a dead giveaway. Um, but it apparently wasn't. So, oh, yeah. No, not, not at all. Uh, honestly, it's been so long since I saw the movie. I've seen the movie. I had, the references didn't make any sense to me. They still don't now. Like, I remember uh, some of the characters. But... None of the other the other references still go over my head. Should watch that movie again. That was a good movie. It is a good movie. It's a great movie. I thought it'd be awesome to bring it in um, to Brovenloft after Twin Peaks. I'm like, well, hey, we brought in Twin Peaks. We might as well bring in the mummy, especially since the whole movie is about reviving a mummy. Yep, obvious um, in hindsight. And. Uh, the players had a task, not a wish, but a task a genie would perform from them. And actually, let me talk about that real quick. Um, I ain't genies, genies typically do wishes in AD&D. Um, but wishes kind of get in with some, you know, some problems. They can make huge changes and do a lot of really great things. And so... And there have been a lot of wishes used in Brovenloft. They called it World Wish 3 or, or World, Wish World War, War Wish. World, World War, War Wish. Wish. Thank you. Um, so when I put a, a genie in there and a lamp, um, I wanted to do something different rather than throwing another big wish in. Um, Especially because I, I really didn't want them just to wish Kings to Rapper back alive. Because that would have made the rest of the module moot. Um, messed the adventure moot. So I decided that this genie would instead offer them a task. And a task was just something he could do, which put some limitations on it that wishes don't normally have. It was basically, you know, something he could do with casting spells or lifting things or whatever. It wasn't just, hey, here's just about anything. And then he also said, okay, this task has to be within my abilities or you'll waste it. And then the players figured out the big loophole to the task which was they could ask him questions because questions weren't part aren't a task they're just getting information 
And specifically, the really smart question they started asking was, can you do this? Is this within your power to do? And once they started asking those questions, they could really narrow down what they could get this uh, genie to do. And uh, surprisingly enough, to me at least, they asked the genie to destroy the Book of the Dead so no one could uh, use it to resurrect the mummy ever again. I was not expecting that. I, I was expecting them to do something, you know, to Adventure-y. enrich them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hey, can you bring us all plus two weapons? I would have been bound to do that because, yes, he could have brought them all plus two weapons. Um, but, you know, they use it to destroy the Book of the Dead. And in retrospect, that looks like a plot to a module. That looks like, oh, the Game Master gave us this task so we could use it to destroy the book, but it wasn't. That was just the choice of the players. Um, and it completely surprised me. It was like, wow, yeah, you totally can ask him that. So these are just the things that players do to surprise me. Um, and shock me sometimes. In fact, I gave, uh, I gave out a hundred uh, XP for a really surprising idea that Dorno came up with. Uh, do you want to tell him what that was? Not really. Not really. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's it's just something that you didn't think of. Searching. Uh, the, what made it clever was the uh, genie. We asked the genie to describe all the contents of his location so that we would know where all the treasure was. And, uh, and it occurred to me that if there's a trap door under the floor, there's a, you know, a treasure hoarder dungeon there, he wouldn't have been obligated to tell us. So I, I, I searched, I searched there and that that's what made that surprising. Well, is that a high? I thought of something that the genie would not have been obligated to tell us, tell us about. Let me investigate that. Um, it was surprising to me because they were on sand, they were on dunes, and they were in a pavilion. So the pavilion had a big carpet laid down on top of the sand. Um, and that was, because uh, that's how you get a floor when you're in a, the, an open pavilion, because it's not a modern tent, which has floors sewn on. Um, and him asking, hey, is there maybe you know, a trap door or stairs or something going down. And it just, it was blind me because I'm like, oh yeah, somebody could legitimately actually have done that. And I didn't, uh, I didn't even consider that to discard it. It just never occurred to me. And I like handing out bonus XP for ideas that completely blindside me. If I haven't even thought of an idea at all, especially if the idea is really clever, not really stupid, <laughs> I will give out a little bit of extra XP for that. That's... Appreciate it. Um, in this case, it was 100 XP. I thought that was, you know, it's worth being recognized. So, yeah. But that was that was the module. I, I threw in a bunch of references to the mummy because it was in theme with 
Kingsta Rappers Domain. Um, they just had a little bit of Earth Cairo um, in a small dusty town where the fight took place. Um, and uh, yeah. So cool. I'm, uh, what was the point? There was a DM point to that. I can't remember the point. Of, oh, tasks. The point is a DM is um, you can choose to do things a little bit differently. Instead of having the monsters do everything exactly the same, you can choose to make them a little bit different. So instead of a DM, uh, instead of a genie, handing out wishes, um, you can choose to define it a little bit differently and have him hand out tasks, things he can physically do or things he can do as if he could cast any magic spell. Um, and players, you know, give him some uh, limitations. Like one of the limitations he had to work around is, this is in Brovenloft. Brovenloft is ruled by the mists of Brovenloft. And so... Um, one of the tasks, one of the things he couldn't do was, um, bring Kang's the Rapper back to life directly. He just couldn't do that, um, uh, because that was the will of the mists. The cultists could do that because they had the Book of the Dead, and maybe the players could have done that if they had used the Book of the Dead, but they would have had to have brought wholly different characters along on the, uh, adventure. Uh, they would have had to brought the evil party along. Um, I I do regret having the, the paladin as my only playable character there. So, um, so one of his uh, restrictions that he told the party is I can't defy the will of the mists, which applied to a couple of other things too. They wanted him to take all of them back home, and uh, because the mists had brought them all together, um, and then tried to kill them twice. I don't think the party noticed that. Um, the mist set them within, you know, just a short walking distance of an insta-death trap or close to insta-death trap. Um, and then when they found civilization and walked towards it, the very first thing that happened in civilization, uh, was a huge, nasty gunfight breaking out. So the mists tried to kill them twice. Um... I don't know why it brought us all that way just to try and kill us. Because <laughs> it's the mists, man. It's the mists, man. Maybe in dying, you might have also made sure that the Americans died. Who knows? Um... But yeah, you can you can redefine the powers of any creature in the monster manual um, at will and make them slightly different to give players a slightly different challenge. Uh, and, it, and even a challenge that they have to work through uh, differently. It just makes uh, it makes the game fresh again because one of the reasons why people play games, is to have puzzles they have to unknot, um, and having puzzles they have to unknot that are different, just doing the same thing again and again, does get boring. And so you give them a different problem to unknot, 
and that uh, um, that makes the game fresh again. So, if you like the task idea, go ahead and take it. But you know, maybe you hate the task idea, but it doesn't mean that the principle behind it is wrong. Mm. Go ahead and use different things for different monsters. Absolutely. That's the idea for the VMs I was coming up with. Oh, yeah. Uh, we even lost a player character to uh, the insta-kill death trap. But he uh, uh, he risked fate. He tempted fate because everybody knew it was an insta-kill trap. And he decided to tempt uh, tempt fate on that. It's always one. Had to give it a go. Yep. Um, kind of like that crown that we got the other uh, the other week. Perfectly fine piece of treasure, but don't try and wear it. <laughs> totally kill you. Gonna kill him. Yeah. I've stopped talking. That's a sign for you to shift into the, not the Witcher, the what? Wretched? The Wretched. Yeah. Oh, I already, I tried to before, but then we got sidetracked by the story. It was a good story. Uh, yeah, movie night this week for Halloween, the October season. Uh, we watched a 2019 film called The Wretched. Kind of a it's uh it's supposed to be a horror movie you know modern um i don't want to say ghost story it's a witch story uh so it came out in 2019 so i think it actually saw theaters before everything got crazy uh, but i hadn't uh, heard of it 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 got a little bit of buzz lately online by whoever pays for buzz to be created these days uh, so we sat down and watched it and i was pleasantly surprised to be treated by a uh, well-paced, by-the-numbers kind of thriller. The setup is a uh, a teenager. Oh, I think he's supposed to be 16, 17. Uh, is visiting his dad in a sleepy seaside town uh, with, with the you know divorce of his parents imminent. Um, he comes out for a visit for the summer and discovers that there is a witch who is in the village who eats children and pretends to be people in the village to get them get its victims and i will say it's not very scary but i will say it's very well paced and intense there's uh there's a prologue at the beginning that completely ruins it. Should have been cut from the movie entirely. But um, they should, they honestly, like a lot of horror movies, they should have just started with the, the protagonist driving into town. Do, or I think he was on, was on a bus. Away stuff? The prologue, it, it gives away something that doesn't need to be given away. Okay. Um, it, at the beginning, there's uh, an attack and a killing, and you know it says this happened 35 years ago. 
and it shows you know it shows the it shows a witch feeding and you don't know it's the witch but it shows a monster feeding on a child and it shows a symbol that you see repeatedly in the uh movie and you see uh a photograph okay and so it tells you a couple of things about the witch uh it tells you that the father of the child being eaten is somehow involved it sh tells you that there's something eating children in this town and it shows you uh, the significance of the photograph. The symbol's a red herring. It just means that that's just the symbol of the witch, right? None of those things needed to be explained ahead of time. There was, there's no reason for the audience to know this stuff before they actually watch the movie and the adolescent discovers it. I'm no, I'm no professional editor, but I bet if you cut that prologue out, you would understand everything. And it would be scarier when you discover things at the same time as the protagonist. That said, um, really well paced. Every scene leads to the next. Every action leads to the next. Um, it doesn't make it particularly scary, except in the, you know, as the character realizes, for example, oh crap, you know, so and so, so and so's sister is now in danger, right? Uh, then you know, there's a lot of tension there, and uh, there's very little useless explanatory dialogue. Um, no needless exposition of the monster's backstory, right? It's a, uh, it's it takes over people's identities and eats children, right? Good enough, uh, but pretty enjoyable. I, I do recommend it. Uh, and I, I've tried to avoid spoiling it. It's a, it's a few years old, uh, but I, I try to avoid spoiling it because I give it a go. I think it's good. All right. There's a, uh, and th there's a one thing that adds to the tension and, and I'll say the, the only other thing that they, they failed at was one of the, abilities the witch uses to get away with it for so many years has a potential for a lot of suspense and drama and i don't i think the movie could have done more with that to make it scarier the 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 witch actually makes people forget that the children even existed oh wow that's freaky. That it and and that could have been extremely scary. They used it well in the plot, but that's all it was. It, it just ended up being a plot device, um, and you know a fun twist for later in the film. Uh, but that's it. Could have been brutally scary, but at least it was competently written. They, um, it, it was an honest to goodness competent writer put this together. They hit all the story beats. They. Uh, there was, I, I can't think of a wasted scene and all the characters, uh, the all, all the characters you don't like get killed. So there you go. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Uh-huh. Um, I reviewed Rings of Power, right? Mm, no, I, No. Yes, you did. Okay. Uh, you you said that uh, it was 
I believe last week you said something like it was really low budget TV production values and everything everything about it was bad. Yes. Okay. That yeah. sounds that sounds like me. Um, and I reviewed She-Hulk. Yes. Did I review House of the Dragon? I don't think so. No. Okay. So I, I think the I think the final episode had come out by the time we did the show last week, but I hadn't watched it yet. And I don't think I reviewed Andor either. Did I? No. Okay. Because that was the same deal. The final episode had come out, but I didn't have a chance to watch it before the show. And I know I didn't re want, uh, review Adam Projects. I just watched that this week. So, Adam Project was good, not great. Um, it, it's, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, but then again, Deadpool always is. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that, that, that Ryan Reynolds guy, he makes fun <laughs> movies that are solidly mediocre. Um, <laughs> this, uh, I hope Brian Reynolds doesn't feeling, listen to the show. I'm getting the feeling that a lot of streaming movies are just movies that should have been kept in production, like at the script stage for another six to eight months. Um, but instead of being rushed so that they can make money quicker. Because um, a lot of them just have script problems and you can see like the scenes were like someone has gone through a rewrite, but the rewrite doesn't quite mesh with the older stuff. So they needed another rewrite just to smooth it all out. And, and don't get me wrong. Adam project is fun. Um, I enjoyed it, but it definitely needed, uh, definitely needed some, some smoothing out and maybe, uh, uh, someone who was operating at a higher level as a writer to go through. Um, it did not push the message. Um, so that was great. It was just meant to entertain you. Uh, and that earns a lot of credit with me. Uh, as far as being willing to review it and just say, hey, I enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, I'd give Adam Project a recommend. Uh, and it's been out for a long time. I've been meaning to review it for a long time. And I finally have. I know I've been promising to review it for like a month now, right? Something Maybe like more. That. So yeah, I finally got that checked off. And Red Notice, hopefully, is next. Um, so, Andor. Andor is proof that if you crap on a fandom long enough, they'll just stop watching your stuff, whether it's good or not. What's that mean? Uh, Andor is actually pretty good. What um, is it? 
It's oh, Andor Cassian was one of the characters in uh, Rogue One. Um, Rogue One was that Star Wars movie that came out before Solo that was in between the J.J. Uh, Abrams trilogy. So like you'd have a J.J. Abrams movie and then Rogue One and then that really crappy Volleyball Head Dudes trilogy uh, movie in the trilogy. And then you had Solo and then you had the final Disney trilogy movie. Um, yeah, Ender was the male lead. He was the like dude who was the hardcore assassin who was cold-hearted and stuff. He He killed somebody to keep the rebellion thing secret right in the beginning of the movie. You never saw the movie, did you? Rogue One? I did. I recall that scene. I don't recall anything about the character or his actor. Um, so they made a prequel series. It was another Star Trek series streaming on Disney. Like Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan. Um, this is just called Andor. Um, and the sad thing is, is it's actually pretty good. Um, the only thing stopping it from being great is that, uh, and I'm not going to say it lagged. It didn't lag. They weren't marking time. They just, uh, they concentrated on character and character interactions among this team they had assembled to do this thing. I have got to stop whistling. Or all of John's kittens are going to jump at the screen and, and that'll be our technical problems for this show. <laughs> we'll be knocked off the air kitten rage. Um, which I don't think is quite the right thing for Star Wars. I think Star Kid Wars Ridge? should be a little no. bit... It, it should be a little bit faster paced than this show was. But it was still a good show. Good characters. Um, an interesting plot line. Good actors who, for the most part, did a good job. Um, and again, know the message. The problem is, is it's been so long since anyone did competent Star Wars or Star Wars that was worth watching other than maybe The Mandalorian. And, and I'll be honest with you, The Mandalorian is still, you know, pretty good, but not great. It's rough. It's uneven. There are some great moments in The Mandalorian, but it's uneven. Andor is worth watching. If you have Disney Plus, give it a watch. But uh, uh, maybe maybe I missed what kind of show is it? Like uh, what what kind is, of story is it? He is uh, basically a refugee living on a the corporate sector authority world and 
um, this is a callback to the original Han Solo trilogy that came out in the 70s. Um, so this, it, it's really a deep cut for those of you who read those books. Um, the Espos, the security police are in charge of this sector of space. I really, if you haven't read the books, I, I can't take the time to explain them all to you. It, uh, just know that there's this sector of space in the Star Wars galaxy. How have I given myself a lisp today? What's going on? <laughs> My tongue is paralyzed. Good grief. It's biological, technological difficulties. Um, and this, uh, you can go ahead and toss up uh, Bradford Walker's quote. That's a good one. Um, Ender uh, reminds me a lot of playing West End games, D6 Star Wars, when no one played a Force user. Uh, that, that doesn't tell me what type of show is it. It is, uh, he's a refugee on this world who has turned to petty crime as well as, or not so petty crime, as well as working in this uh, shipyard uh, stripping, this starship stripping yard for the corporate, for the corporation that runs this sector of space. And uh, because of some things that happen, he gets uh, a sentence put on his head in this sector of space and then gets offered a chance to get out by an agent working for the rebellion. And that is to break into a uh, imperial base and steal their payroll. So it's a heist movie. The whole season? Or... Yes. Except that like the, the first three episodes deal with him and where he came from and how, what goes on on this planet to get him uh, to get this, you know, suspicious loner criminal involved with the rebellion um and how he actually turns out to be exactly who these rebels need even though he's like you know not a not a uh he's not a a believer he doesn't believe in believing and he's not a cause man he doesn't believe in causes so he's the last person you would expect to join the rebellion. But he's offered pay and he's offered a way out of, you know, getting caught and executed by the uh, corporation. And yes. Um, so and it all ends up, all of this intrigue and all of these things end up in the last episode of the of the season with him going and 
with them going in and trying to rob this imperial garrison for their multi uh you know this unimaginably huge payroll and then trying to get away with their skins intact how many uh <laughs> how many hours is this season cuz it you know i'm going to follow up with I think eight. Yeah. Maybe six. You know, the, the way you made, the way you laid it out, it sounds like it should have been a 90-minute movie. Oh, no. If it was a 90-minute movie, it would have been solo. You mean solo which, the movie? Yeah, which just wasn't very good. Because um, they would but have you don't tried need, to... You don't need eight hours to tell a heist movie either well you asked me what what is it what is the show about the show's about a heist that's like the spine of it but that's not everything that's in the show you wanted me to give you a summary and i gave you a summary and then you say well if that's everything to it no no that's the summary man hmm okay It is a competently made show that isn't pushing the message and there's a lot more that happens to it. Ultimately, everything that's going on culminates in a heist. Cool. Well, I have access to a Disney Plus. Maybe I'll put myself through an episode or two. The one bad thing about it is all the best characters are in the first three episodes. And the characters who come in later aren't as fun or as interesting. It's a shame. Uh, I mean, I applaud them for knowing that they had run out of plot on the opening planets and for going on to this other you know set up on the planet where they're going to do this heist but it's also kind of sad because they ran out of things out of out of motivation and things to do on this other planet and all the greatest characters were there. I will say that if it is eight hours long, you could probably have cut it down to six and not missed much. I'm not surprised. Well, this happened, uh, there's so many shows uh, back when I tried to get into more streaming TV. Even a great show like Netflix's Daredevil. That, oh, yeah. uh, that, that was a really good show. And from what I heard, the, a lot of the stuff that was good continued into the seasons two and three. 
but I had to stop after the first episode of season two because I didn't want to watch another eight hour movie. I wanted to watch a, uh, you know, I wanted to watch eight episodes. Uh, and Man in the High Castle did the same thing. Man in the High Castle was hurt by having really poor actors, but still, the um, when the second it took two episodes just to catch up with what the characters from the first season did. I lost all my investment. Um, and yeah, I could do with, I mean, Star Wars itself is is a dead brand, uh, from my point of view. But everybody could do with a pulpy Star Wars style adventure, like one episode a week. But if it's gonna be eight hours of characters maybe you don't like and or, or whatever, or and it the big thing that's leading up to, um, you in other words, if you have filler, if you have filler minutes, never mind filler episodes, uh, especially after just watching The Wretched, which um, was a perfectly fine horror movie. Most, but the thing that was striking about it was how well paced it was. You know, writers know how to do this. Writers know how to make good, well paced stuff. But for some reason, whatever crap gets put out on these streaming services is not written by these people. Um, I don't have the patience for it. And if I may be a little bit of a curmudgeon, neither should you or anybody else. It's bullshit. But yeah, I would love to get a little more Star Wars style action, you know, on my TV screen or in my, you know, in my, uh, what's it called? Entertainment time. That sounds great. Um, even for this being a good show, I don't trust, I don't trust the people putting these things together to do that. But based on your recommendation, maybe watching uh, the first episode would give me an idea whether they did it. Man, I'm real cranky. <laughs> when anyone says Disney, I just get angry. Oh, oh and and Andor opened up. It didn't even crack the top ten on its first uh, episode, and I think they released all three episodes, all three of the first episodes at once. So it was six weeks. Because they released three episodes on the first week. Um, and yeah, it has never, never cracked the top 10. Uh, Disney has so, uh, and by Disney, I mean Kathleen Kennedy, has so soiled the Star Wars name that it's just useless. It's it. It no longer means anything, and audiences just don't care anymore. Yeah, uh, Disney's going to keep destroying. Uh, they hate us. They hate good entertainment. They hate. They hate what normal people like. Um. I. Uh, yeah, they could choose to make movies that will appeal to audiences and they could choose to make movies that they can go to, uh, you know, cocktail parties with left with other people who believe the same things as they do and get accolades there. Um, and they chose the second. They, 
it's not very good. Um, speaking of not very good, House of the Dragon. Oh boy. There's another, there's another property by people who hate you. Tell me more. House of the Dragon is not as bad as Rings of Power. Quite. Okay. <laughs> they cleared that bar. Um, and that's about the only good thing I can say about it. Now, there are good actors in this show who turn in good performances. Um, but they're wanting this to be another Game of Thrones. And I don't think they realized how thoroughly season eight of Game of Thrones just destroyed this brand. I mean, it wrecked rank. It was not, it was so bad. It didn't just erase season eight from people's um, esteem. It retroactively erased all of the excitement that had been building up about Game of Thrones. And so this thing coming out, there are a lot of people who are watching it and a lot of people saying it's good. They are all liars. <laughs> um, it is not good. There is no reason for this show to exist. It is not thrilling. It is not gripping. There is not any... Game of Thrones was about, uh, in the beginning, was about um, a gripping struggle between these noble dynasties with the threat of... Um, you know, what we're in the beginning, we're pretty mysterious, undead, coming south. And winter was coming. You know, a great winter, a long winter. It felt like these cosmic events were all happening at the same time. It felt like big things were on the move. And... Um, In the face of these big things that were happening, all of these petty nobles were engaging in slap fights with each other when they should have been getting prepared for a um, for a fight to the death for humanity's survival. Now, House of the Dragon feels like nobles getting involved in petty slap fights. And that's it. Yay. It's just about Two childhood friends 
one of whom marries the other's father and who's going to be king after he dies. And there's a whole bunch of, you know, your typical Game of Thrones nonsense ladled on. But that's what it boils down to. So there's no weight. And and there's nobody to root for, I'm guessing. Because that that sort of story is interesting if you have someone to root for, which is one of the problems with the original Game of Thrones series is that, first of all, if there's nobody to root for, and if you found a character that you liked, Martin would be sure to kill that character off by the beginning of the next book, which was, which was sort of his calling card. So you don't even have, you don't even have the ingredients of an interesting story about nobles and war and succession, just like the Game of Thrones show itself. Yeah, there is really no one to root for because the king's daughter, the princess, uh, her kids are quite obviously um, fathered out of wedlock, not by her husband. And so you know, rooting for them to become king is really complicated because they're really not uh, legitimate. And then she goes and marries her uncle because, you know, Game of Thrones. Um, And the other lady who is a genuinely good-hearted lady, mostly, who they pull a Rorschach with. And, you know, Rorschach was the only person committed to justice who wouldn't compromise his morals. He's the only one with any integrity. Yeah, he's the only one with any integrity. Um, And so Alan Moore made him as disgusting as possible so that people wouldn't like him and wouldn't root for him. Um. The uh, George R. R. Martin tried to make her, uh, tried to uh, sully her and disparage her and bring her down. So she seemed disgusting. Just so, uh, especially in the last episode of the show, it's just revolting. I cannot recommend this show at all on any level. Um, But her sons, uh, you know, were fathered by the king. And even though they're not the legitimate heirs, um, they have more of a claim to the throne than the sons of the princess. But they're both... One of them is a 
weakling drunkard who is in no way fit to run the kingdom um, and doesn't want it, is trying to run away from it, and they keep on capturing him and bringing him back. And the other one who obviously wants the throne and is scheming to get the throne is a cruel and murderous reptile. So apparently George R. R. Martin believes that there is no nobility in the human race, that no one is ever noble. Ooh, dark and gritty. Yeah. Just like no one likes it. There is no level at which I can recommend this show. Um. There is nothing you can get by watching the show that you cannot get by watching something else. They don't even have any dragon fights in the show so far. And that's the one thing that you maybe would expect because they keep on building up towards a war between these two mothers. Um, but the war never arrives. So, just teasing them along. Yeah, maybe the war is going to come next season. I don't know. But it does not come this season. Now, this is based off of a George R.R. R. Martin book, one of the books he read instead of writing Game of Thrones books. Um, I haven't read it, and I don't plan to. But. Yeah. And I'm not saying they don't do anything right. I'm just saying that the parts they do right, you can get from other places. If you want compelling drama, you can get that in other places. If you want compelling fantasy drama, you can get that in other places. If you want good special effects, you can get that in other places. If you like, you know, castles you can get better or exactly the same castles in other places there's just nothing to recommend this show so when are you going to stop watching garbage dw i review what i review <laughs> I just, that's my job, to review stuff. <laughs> well, I think we're out of stuff to review for this week. What do you say? Oh, yeah, that's everything I've seen. I'm hoping to get to Red Notice for next week. Um, oh, I do want to say I started a new show. Uh, I'm only two episodes in. It just uh, opened yesterday on Amazon. It's called The Peripheral. Um, and the first two episodes were good. I am utterly sure it's going to go sideways, pear-shaped in the sometime later in the season. So I'm not, you know, real 
I'm not overly getting my hopes up. However, the first two episodes were were good, and uh, I enjoyed them. And they're going to be releasing one episode a week. Um, so I'm looking forward to continuing along with the show and, and seeing when it blows up and what happens when it blows up. It's based on a... Um, on an all of all things William Gibson novel. Um, so I actually want to start reading that novel now because I, I've owned it for a little while at least, and uh, I might as well see what the novel is about because I've read a lot of William Gibson, except his last two series. So I uh, I want to give that novel a read. Looking forward to that. I got distracted by a kitten. I'm done. That's it. Sounds good. Hey, well, thanks for chatting with me about all that stuff. Uh, it's good to chat with you guys in the chat room. I hope everybody who listens to this later enjoy the show and comes and joins us next time. We'll talk about more good stuff. Uh, but uh, that's it for me this week. Really appreciate the show. Daddy Warpig, take it away. Uh, we want to thank everyone who listened live uh, and jumped in the chat. Always uh, a great conversation in there. We want to thank everyone who listened later. Uh, once again, this is Geek Gab. We're available on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. That's YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. Just about every Saturday at the same time, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. We are also available on the Google Play Store, on SoundCloud.com, and on the Apple iTunes Store. You can check us out just to a search for Geek Gab, and we will be there. We are signing out for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.